first reflection that I'd like to offer is the reason Sylvia's not here is it's uh, the Jewish High Holy Days. It's the Jewish New Year was the last two days, and then it ends in ten days with what's called uh, Yom Kippur, which are, which is um, the Day of Atonement. And these are the most holy days of the Jewish year. And so there's the New Year and then the Days of Atonement. And in between are called the Days of Awe. The Days of Awe, A-W-E. And it seems appropriate to mention that. I feel like we're... That's somewhat what we've been experiencing. And especially if you, if you know what awe means, it means a mixed emotion of reverence, respect, dread, and wonder. Inspired by genius, beauty, sublimity, or might, power. And the days of awe are a time to reflect on our life, a time to reflect and look very closely at what it is to be a human being. And how have we been? Who have we been? What have we been? And what do we, who do we want to be? What do we want to be? And I feel like that the bombings have um, I don't know the right word, caused us to look very deeply, forced us to look very deeply, been an opening in some way, to really look at what is important. What is truly important? And we've seen a number, we've heard of the phone calls, the cell phones, the people calling, just to tell their loved ones that they love them. And how moving that's been, and how obvious, how clear. Nobody called to say, tell my computer I loved it, or tell my car. Nobody said, you know, they all, it, people, very clearly what was important. Love was clearly what was important. Our connection being what was important. And so it's an interesting intersection between the bombing and what's come from that and uh, these days of awe that we find ourselves in right now. And so um, in, the, in the tradition, um, part of the days of awe are recognizing the possibility for change, for turning. Um, in, the, in the Hebrew it's called tshuva. And it's turning that's a sacred turning. It's turning back to God. In Buddhism, we would say 
turning back to our true nature, turning back to the way things are, turning back to wisdom and compassion. Turning, and, and it's considered um, the true turning is actually from one who's gone far away, which we all have. For the truly pious, it's not such a big deal. But for those of us who forget, who turn towards looking for our refuge, maybe we could, in Buddhism, we talk about it as really returning to the place of refuge. In a Buddhism, we value three refuges very highly, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Awakening, the truth of the way things are, and this field of awakening, this human realm of awakening that we share. And so, in some sense, our turning is to take refuge again in what speaks to us most deeply, in what illuminates us most brightly. And I've, part of my reflection lately has been about um, how do we practice? How do we practice with this? What does it mean to practice with this? One of the... I've, I've felt the great refuge of practice I've had the opportunity to do a number of days of practice during this time uh, and sit for short periods at home and to practice now while I'm speaking, while you're listening. Please let's not erase, make any formal distinction between what it is to be aware and awake. Um, I've had many opportunities to practice with my sadness and grief over the last eight or nine days. Many opportunities to practice with the fear that sometimes is very strong, but often I would discover it in a very subtle way of just not relaxing into this moment of experience. And finding the freedom and even, um, I'm a little hesitant to say this, but even the joy of this moment, in the middle of the sadness, in the middle of the grief. <clears throat> when I reflect on what it is to take refuge, to really turn towards practice very deeply, I feel inspired not only to practice but to keep breaking out of the cocoon of spirituality and letting practice emerge into relationship, into family, into community, into work, into culture, into politics, into war as they're calling it these days, as we're calling it these days. 
I, I went out and bought this book. It's called The Art of War. It's actually a famous spiritual book, a Taoist book. Because I want to understand, well, what does this mean? What does this mean that human beings, and human beings have been doing this forever, battle each other, kill each other, fight with one another? And what does it mean from a spiritual perspective to look at this directly, to meet this directly? And as far as I can tell, we're going to be meeting it directly. One of I, I was here on Saturday for a day long with Greg Kramer, who um, teaches something called Insight Dialogue, which is all about how to practice now, how to practice while we're talking and listening, how not to get caught in some trance of simply formal meditation. But what's it like to be present, to show up very fully for your experience right now, and to keep showing up each moment, each moment, each moment. Keep being aware of your body, your feelings, your reactions, the process of thinking, and the place of freedom, the place of awakening right here. The knowing that knows all things, but is not bound by them, but is not separate at the same time. And Greg asked me a question. We, we spent also a day together and he said, well, what do you think, you know, there's so many high states of consciousness, altered states of consciousness, beautiful states of consciousness that can arise with meditation practice. He said, oh, how do you think it relates to what's going on? And I answered really something that I've learned mostly from my wife, who's the one who pointed me to this, who's a Zen student. We have a interfaith Buddhist marriage. <laughs> and, and I'm someone who really likes high states of consciousness and altered states, I, I have to confess. Um, it, they're fun. Um, but they're not the point, as my wife has told me many times. They're not the point. They're, they're helpful. They're helpful because they help us see that our usual sense of self or our small sense of self is just an idea, is just a construct, is just a reification or a solidification. So you have an expanded state and you see, oh, this, this isn't who I am, there's something more. And so they're helpful, but they're not the point. And so then what is the point becomes an important question in our practice. And in the Zen tradition, they have a very famous story. A um, student comes to a teacher and says, what's the goal of a lifetime of practice? You know, what's the point? And the teacher answers, an appropriate response. An appropriate response. And I, I think that's a beautiful understanding of what practice is about. That we learn to turn, we turn and find
the deepest understanding of what a human being is. And we keep clarifying that, allowing that illumination to be unveiled so that it can respond appropriately to this life, to this difficulty, to this sorrow, to this joy, to this beauty. And, you know, I could give a very simple example, you know, if somebody falls down, we don't just meditate and say, oh, falling, falling, you know. We, <laughs> our, our automatic response is to reach and, and help them. I mean, that's just, that's an appropriate response. Most of the time, not always actually, and this is an important part of an appropriate response. When I was teaching my daughter how to ride her bike, she had to fall a lot of times. It was very painful for me to watch. But actually, it had to happen. She couldn't learn to ride a bike if I always caught her. And so the appropriate response was actually to let her fall. Now, luckily, we had one of those playgrounds that had thick rubber around it, so it wasn't too bad. And, but she was determined. It wasn't, she wasn't having a problem with the falling, actually. I was. <laughs> you know. But I, I mentioned those two examples. They're very simple. And, but they point to that there's not, it's not based on an idea. It's actually based on the reality, the immediacy of here and now, and responding from what's actually here, not from our ideas, not from our beliefs, not from our past um, understanding, but from the lived reality, which we will only know how to respond to if we show up, if we're really here. If we really meet life fully, all the 10,000 joys and sorrows, Martin Buber, who wrote a whole, his whole philosophy, his whole spirituality was based on relationship, said all real living is in meeting. And I think that's a really nice understanding of our practice. How do we meet our body here today? How do we meet our breath? How do we meet the sounds, the feelings, the process of thinking? How do we meet one another? How do we meet the world with all its complexity, all its difficulty, all its history? And how do we allow that full meeting, that real meeting of this life to help us discover what's important, what's of value? Not in an intellectual way, but in a lived way, every day, every moment. I, I realized I w I've been having a certain reaction the last few days that I want to include here in our reflection, which is, I don't want things to get back to normal. I don't know if anybody else has felt that, but I felt it very strongly. I don't want things to get back to normal.
I have never seen people in this country, maybe any country, be so open, be so kind as in this period of time. I haven't seen people be so human, not be caught in the busyness, not be caught in, their, in the idea of commerce being the most important thing. I feel like there's been this crack that I don't want to see go away. And, and I, you know, partly I'm speaking for my own self, that something cracked in my own uh, delusion, in my own uh, self-involvement. And I look at, I looked at some things like, I'm someone, I actually love sports. I really, I grew up playing all the sports, and I love sports, and, you know, I saw Barry Bonds hit his 60th home run two weeks ago, you know, it was great. But I don't, I don't care if they ever play sports again. It's not what's important to me. And when I think actually about it, what I think is, it, I, it would be fine if sports was played again. And if all the sports players, this is just my personal opinion, this is not a Buddhist anything. Um, <laughs> if all the players got paid, oh, you know, I don't know, $50,000 each, and they played because they loved to play, and that we take all the rest of that money that goes to sports, which is somewhat obscene to me at this point, and we do what's needed with it. We address the world. And then I can extrapolate from that about the wealth of our country. And I don't think we need to be poor. I don't, I don't, one thing I, I feel like I learned early on is we don't have to create suffering in order to um, uh, empathize with it. When I was a young man, I was a musician, and Charlie Parker was one of my heroes. So I, and, I, and it was a kind of glorification of a certain kind of suffering that I thought I needed to do in order to play with that level of soul. And, and then I realized all I had to do was open my eyes and see what's here. And so it's not that I want to... I just think, how much do we need? How much do we actually need? That, that's what I've been thinking. And I, again, speaking for myself, I realized I don't need 400 different kinds of gym shoes to choose from. You know, what, what are we doing? What is important? And, you know, it's fun to have 400 different kinds of gym shoes, but it's, somewhere it's just not making sense to me. I realized in the last week that civilizations come and go. They're, they're, they're empty. They're transparent. There's not much there, actually. It seems so real. It seems like this is it. And this is how it's going to be and has to be. And actually, I, I feel like, oh, we need so little 
know, what did those people say when they knew they were dying? And I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I hope this is clear. I'm not saying this that we should feel guilty or bad. Things happen. The Dharma unfolds. The civilization has unfolded. But I think it's important to question without guilt. I don't think guilt is actually helpful. But to question what's important and how do we want to respond and what's the appropriate response. And how do we want to live our lives in the light of what's happened and what looks like it's going to happen? And it's part of the reason why I got this book again. I really want to look. What is this human experience? How do we bring the army and military, how do we not split off from them? How are we going to do that? I was reflecting a little. Somebody asked this, me this question. Well, what does it mean to be a Buddhist in the military? Which there are. You know, and I, I don't know exactly. I do... Uh, you know, in Buddhism, it's very clear, the teachings about non-harming. In some of the other spiritual traditions, it's not like that. In the Hindu tradition, if it's your dharma to be a warrior, then your dharma is to fulfill that fully. And so in the Bhagavad Gita, you have... Uh, um, I can't remember exactly the details, but Arjuna, I think it's Arjuna going into battle. And, and Krishna saying, this is your, you know, this is how it is. And I'm not saying that, I'm just saying, I'm really open to reflecting on this now, to see what that means. Or what does it mean to respond militarily? And again, these are just reflections, just, I'm just thinking. I don't have any answers. What does it mean to respond militarily not from a place of hatred, but a place of love. Is that possible? Is there, you know, what is the loving response to protecting, in terms of protecting people? How do we protect people? Should we protect people? And I, I don't know exactly the answers to these questions. But I'm open to sitting with the questions. I'm open, I'm open to sitting with them beyond any idea about what, what's right. But to really look deeply. Really, I want to look very deeply. And... Uh, as part of that reflection, I've also been looking at the question of nonviolence very deeply. And when I read something like this, it moves me profoundly. This is from Martin Luther King. He says, love is the most durable power in the world. When I say love those who oppose you, 
I am not speaking of love in a sentimental or affectionate sense. It would be nonsense to urge people to love their attackers in an, uh, in an affectionate sense. When I f refer to love in this context, I mean understanding and goodwill. Gandhi resisted evil with as much vigor and power as the violent resistor, but he resisted with love instead of hate. And he goes on, he's very beautiful. He says, I have discovered that the highest good is love. The prin this principle is at the center of the cosmos. It is the great unifying force of life. He who loves has discovered the meaning of ultimate reality. Mm. I'm going to stop here. I'm offering these thoughts and reflections for you to consider and also to hear your own your responses, your own reflections at this point. Would you do that? Okay. just as when we did I did my sitting group in San Francisco on Sunday people were really hard on the United States at first people were very it's very San Francisco group um, and about the flag and at some point a woman said I'm wearing a flag you know and I don't I, I want to include every side I want to include every perspective, personally. So please don't feel like you can't say your understanding, your view. Please, it's very important. I, I believe that we learn to listen to everybody. So. Well, that's one of the things. Um, I have two things. Um, I have a flag hanging off of my deck at my house, but. I, it's almost like I look at it, and I, I'm an American, and I'm proud of that I'm American. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm very nervous about the posturing, and uh, I don't, I don't want us to retaliate with, mm -hmm. with force. But that seems to be wh how we're headed. And I don't. Two things. I want to have a '60s flag with a peace symbol in the, in, in mm -hmm. the flag. I don't know if they make those anymore, but if anybody knows one, get one of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And um, and the other thing is, what do uh, how do we respond to our 
our friends and families who 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 don't think as we think. I'm not saying we're right and they're wrong, but just something because uh, we've all I'm sure been in these conversations these past several weeks of well we've got to do something we've got to do something with him and like one person is gonna you know fix this and um, what do you say mm -hmm. to, to your friends I'd love to hear what anybody has mm -hmm. to say without making somebody right and somebody wrong mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. okay thank you so I'd like to make one comment about the flag, which is um, what we, one of the things we saw in our group was people were taking the flag to mean being militaristic, when in fact that's not the expression of a lot of people, it's an expression of their love and compassion. Um, and it's also one other thing we, we talked about was neighborhoods, like you like your neighborhood, you know, you grow up on the east side or the west side or downtown and you like it. But it doesn't mean you hate the other neighborhood. It's just, you know, we, we're human beings on the relative level. We make distinctions of, you know, Eugene or Eugene's family or Eugene's neighborhood. Neighborhoods are okay in the relative world. They're part of our reality. Countries are like neighborhoods. You know. So how do people talk to other people? I guess back here. I get worried when uh, we compare. Oh, okay. I get worried when we compare this to Vietnam, because I, you know, I'm a '60s person, and that's where I came to change all of my upbringing and to no longer trust government and to go up against some of my uh, upbringing and um, I've learned consequently some of the damage that I did. My um, next door neighbor was a uh, very active in the military and I, I grew up in the South so the military was a way to get out of the South and become educated and what I've learned since then is that I happened to live in D.C. when, in 68. Uh, I saw Martin Luther King preach his last sermon. I had only been told growing up that he was a communist. That's how I, I grew up in Mississippi. Um, I learned later that I went to Quantico to say goodbye to my friend that was my next door neighbor and threw a glass of wine on the table and said, you're only going to Vietnam to further your career. And more recently, I've discovered that he saved many lives, mm. that he was a beacon of light. Mm. Uh, I just went to his daughter's wedding that was attended by a number of men that served under him. Mm. And I just hope that I've become wiser. Mm. So when I hear the kind of dialogue of let's go back to the way it was when we were in Vietnam with peace symbols, which I mean, I, I do believe in peace. It's not, I'm not saying that I'm not. I just get a little concerned. And I guess that uh, one of the things that I see as progress is that Bush, although I do have my problems with Bush, um, he is, he, every 
every speech that he makes, he also encourages the country to not retaliate against people in this country who are supporting this country. And I, I think that's progress. And so when I talk to my friends who are saying, let's do something, you know, uh, let's, we need to do something, we can't, I mean, I have a friend that said, I think we should go get Osama bin Laden, and if he turns out not to be the person, let's just say, oops, because he does so many bad things. Um, I just kind of encourage them to be wiser and to grow up. I mean, have we learned nothing? Mm. And I'm as confused as everyone else, but I just don't think that we can compare it to anything that we've gone through before. And uh, I'm encouraged that we haven't done anything yet, mm. that we are, you hear on the news every night, that they are going about it to find out the details. They have indicted rather than struck. So I think when I talk to my friends, maybe that's what I reflect on. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've um, found interesting if we consider the 60s, which many people here were involved in, is for myself, I don't feel the hatred or anger that I felt in the 60s. And that I, I'm very appreciative of that that I can have my view and my position even, but it's not based on separation like it was in the city, us and them. I don't see this as us and them. I see that it's all us. The whole, the whole show is us. The whole world is us. And um, in some ways it makes it a little harder because it's not us and them. I just wanted to say real quickly that I was <clears throat> I was in the military when I was younger and the only way I could have done it was as a medic and when it came time to um, shoot a gun and I was supposed to point it at someone else I couldn't I couldn't find the balance in that so I was supposed to fix them or kill them so I chose to late to leave I know a lot of the people in the military don't go in with the um, intent to kill. I'm glad to hear you talking about the opportunity for change. I've been really moved to hear um, Amazing Grace sung many times in the last week. And the man that wrote the lyrics was a slave ship captain yeah. who had a mid-Atlantic epiphany, yeah. turned his ship around, yeah. took all the slaves back to Africa, and yeah. came back to America and became an abolitionist. Yeah. And every time I hear that song, I, I hear it as a prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah, thank you. I've never heard that before. There's somebody up here, Rasika. Um, I, I um, you know, felt myself after watching uh, Tuesday morning's event really shut down <laughs> and every ounce of compassion mm -hmm. that I felt mm -hmm. um, just leave me, you know, and of course I'm a yoga teacher and I've been coming out to Spirit Rock for a long time and, you know, I just was horrified at how quickly I could change 
from this you know, compassionate, embracing all of humanity person to, mm-hmm. and, um, and what did you want to do? What was the reaction? The uh, you know, well, my husband's family's from New York, so of course, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just felt so panicked for all of them, mm-hmm. and you know, and that played into it. And fortunately, my yoga students showed up, and, and we taught a class, and we cried a lot mm-hmm. together, um, and that helped. But what really opened me back up, I came out here Tuesday night, mm-hmm. and I don't know if anybody else here today was there here Tuesday night, and people stood up, and it, some of them said the most painful things, mm-hmm. I mean, things that I just wanted to say, I can't believe you're saying this. Like, you know, there was a part of them that felt that we deserved this because we're such a greedy country and things. But at the same time, what happened to me the next day was I went, you know what? We live in a place where we can say what we want to say, and the people in the Middle East don't. And this is their voice. You know, this is their voice. And I was able to open up with compassion, saying, not to say that what they did was right, but this is, you know, it's like a a child who misbehaves to get your attention. And, And all of a sudden, I just was able not uh, not to say what they did was okay. I mean, not just like you wouldn't tell a child who's you know kicking the wall that what they're doing is okay. But it opened my eyes to my husband's been saying for years the Middle East needs attention. The Middle East needs attention, and I've just gone oh, but I live in Marin and everything's fine, and I'm teaching a yoga class, and and I just went you know I can't be in ignorance anymore. I can't ignore you know ignorance is ignore what goes on for people mm-hmm. that don't live where we live, mm-hmm. you know, and so it just, it, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying I don't have compassion for myself, but it's very easy, just like you say, I don't want things to go back to normal, mm-hmm. because they can't, you know, or this will just happen again and again. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I think it's very important for us to be able to look very honestly at all our feelings around this really look and see. I mean, I, I can say part of my feeling is, oh, I just wanted to go kill somebody. It was part of what was there. If I'm not willing to see that, then I'm in trouble. If I'm willing to see it, I can, then I practice with it. Then I feel that. I allow that. I don't act on that. Um, and, but, and if I have some you know, Buddhist idea that I shouldn't feel that, I'm also in trouble. You know, it's, we, we work with what's true here, and we don't necessarily believe what's true. We see it for what it is. It's conditioned response. And I think, I just want to mention that, because um, like uh, Ajahn Sumedho would say, oh, they say I'm a Buddhist monk and I shouldn't feel that or have that idea. You know, he was once talking about his grief. They said, somebody came up and said, you're a Buddhist monk, you, you're not supposed to grieve. You know, he said, this is a world of loss. Grief is an appropriate response. We have all kinds of responses. Are we willing to look directly at them and discover the place of freedom that knows all things but is not bound by them? Well, thank you. One of my responses has um, been to, um, being a child of the 50s, to go 
back to that great sage of the swamp, Pogo, mm. who said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Mm. And relating to that, on September the 11th, I found myself in the uh, local Red Cross Center in Durham, South Carolina, North Carolina. And uh, while helping out in uh, any way I could with the uh, crowd that uh, had, had come to donate blood, uh, there was uh, a man of obvious uh, Middle Eastern origin. And I overheard him um, asking, uh, I have been, uh, can I donate blood because I have uh, I've been here five months, but before that I was in Dubai for uh, five years. And uh, Dubai, I presumed, as partially remembered, was somewhere in the Persian Gulf. And I said, aha, here is um, someone who has, who has responded, but who, who may indeed be Muslim. And so I put on my uh, TV reporter's hat, which uh, used to be, and, and asked if I asked him if I could interview him, and uh, if uh, he was uh, he was most gracious and said that um, uh, and he was very happy to to be interviewed, and he uh, I asked if if uh, if he were Muslim, and he said no, he was Hindu but he had come from Dubai. He was a, a systems analyst for IBM, and his uh, wife and daughter were in India. He was from the south of India, and his uh, son was here with him. And, uh, and I asked if, if, how he, uh, if he felt that this were a, uh, a religious uh, war, that, that, uh, or, or that, that religion was, was the cause of, of this act, since it, everyone was talking about it being Muslim, the perpetrators being Muslim. And he said, no, 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 religion has nothing to do with it. It's economics. Uh, that, that we have so much, and these, the, if, if, if it were the, the, the Muslims of the places they came from, um, the perpetrators came from that they had so little and through television they see how much we have and so it's, it's, it's jealousy. That was the, the, uh, uh, the motivating factor. And I was also concerned because uh, thinking that perhaps he was Muslim that, that, that he might be feeling um, uh, guilty or what have you, but of course he wasn't because he didn't. He was Hindu. So I thought that that was interesting and regarding what is our 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 correct, our appropriate response. That our perhaps our appropriate response is to uh, share our resources with with specifically those. Um, those who who um, may be of the same faith, who um, 
of, 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 of the perpetrators so that we respond with, to hatred with love, but love as expressed through our uh, economic sharing. Thank you. I'll read you something somebody gave me. And I, it's just another perspective, a way to think about what's happening in the world, the whole world. Um, said, if we could shrink the Earth's population to a village of precisely a hundred people, with all the existing human ratios remaining the same, have you heard, some of you have heard this. He said, do I need to read it again? Yeah, okay. <laughs> it would look something like the following. There would be 57 people of Asian descent, 21 people of European descent, Four from the Western Hemisphere, both North and South. Eight of African descent. Fifty-two percent would be, fifty-two would be female. Forty-eight would be male. Seventy would be non-white. Thirty would be white. Seventy would be non-Christian. Thirty would be Christian. Eighty-nine would be heterosexual. Eleven would be homosexual. Six people would possess 59% of the entire world's wealth. And all six would be from the United States. Eighty would live in substandard housing. Seventy would be unable to read. Fifty would suffer from malnutrition. One would have a college education. One would own a computer. That's pretty wild. Even if some of it's off, you know, I don't, I don't even know who made this up, so I can't verify this. But if we begin to look at the world, I think it's the view we have to begin to take if we're going to find freedom from suffering here. I think we're going to have to take a very big view. Um, Please stand. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to look at this as part of the dance. Mm -hmm. There's a dance that goes on. Uh, these people obviously are doing this in isolation. Mm -hmm. What we haven't done, I think enough, is ask the question, what have we done to cause this kind of a response? Mm -hmm. There are times I'm proud to be an American. There are times I'm not very proud to be an American. And I think it's larger than being an American or not. It's about being a human being. I'm proud of human beings in their moments. And that happens anywhere, anytime there's a disaster. Some, sometimes people rise to their best. So I think instead, you know, what we want to do is we're responding to what did they do and what do we do about it without trying, I think, enough to ask the question, you know, what's behind it. Um, and that gets, I think, it's economic. I, you know, the, the message has been in front of us since the 70s. 
we, we, we as a country are talking globally more, mm -hmm. but I, I think it's manifested in us sucking up more resources. We, we have a certain amount of guilt as a country, and I don't, you know, again, I think, I think we're a good people because I think people are good. Um, and we're, we're trying to do the right thing at the same time that we're trying to take care of ourselves maximally. But I think that as part of the dance, <coughs> if we don't get from this as partners in the world, and that we, we've got to do more, and we've got to do less, or we've got to make do with less, it's the dance will go on and on. I suppose it'll go on and on anyway. But it's, uh, it's getting heavier now because it is global. We've made it global, and nobody, nobody's ignorant anymore. I think the rest of the world knows who's, who the fat cats are and what it's costing them. I don't know if it's just oil that's behind this, but it has, that's, that's something to do with it. And, you know, we complain about gas going up. <laughs> I do, you do, I guess. You know, it goes up to $1.70 or whatever, and then that's so absurd um, because we have so much. So we, I think, you know, if we can as a people to become bigger and, so, and becoming bigger do with less somehow. I guess, thank you, sorry. I guess what I'm wondering is what it's going to really take for all of us, the whole world, to wake up. Mm. We keep having these opportunities. Mm. How is this more horrible than the Holocaust? Mm. How is it more awful than Rwanda? Mm. How is it more terrible than half a million Iraqi children dying from lack of supplies? Mm. We keep having these opportunities, and I start worrying at how deeply this me-them stuff is embedded in our biology mm. and how much work how much mindfulness it's going to take mm. to overcome it before mm. it's really too late. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as a 60s person who was, in fact, a very active radical <coughs> and who grew up in a communist household, um, I, I'm very interested in addressing that question that you asked about how do you respond to people who really have a different opinion. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think, you know, if it's possible to actually learn from one's own behavior and past, which hopefully it is, that it really is this issue of rather than approaching people with a confrontational, um, you're wrong, I'm right, or Here's my opinion, and it's so different, but rather to try to couch it as questions. We have this incredible opportunity to ask questions about what I believe and what you believe and what anybody believes. And I, you know, I th for me, I think that's, that's very much sort of the Buddhist underpinning here. And the opportunity is um, rather than polarizing each other by well, I think, really, obviously, et cetera, et cetera, whereas you clearly, you know, always with that sort of tone of only one of us can really be right here, um, is to continue to engage people in dialogue. 
in, um, well, how, how do you think that we could see this in a different way? How do you think this problem could be solved um, if, if we can't isolate the enemy and um, annihilate them? then how would it be possible to deal with this? And I think as long as we can continue to engage each other and ourselves in it as a dialogue of um, the search for the answer, as opposed to, I have the answer, just give me the opportunity, that that's really where I think we have an opportunity to do it so differently. Thank you. Um, I, I was on retreat um, here uh, with women, um, with the women's retreat, um, which started Wednesday, last Wednesday, and went through Sunday. Excuse me, where's this hand up over here? Uh, I'd rather not. so sorry for the people who, the man who got attacked in San Francisco, the man who died because he had a turban. Mm. I live in El Sobranti where there is a, a large Sikh community and particularly the elders you would see on the street a lot. Mm. Uh, they wa they're walkers and they're, they're, they're community people and they're always they're talking in groups, and they're very sweet. You don't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I think I see a lot of flags in my, in my neighborhood. It's a working class town. It's, it's, and my first response was fear when I saw that. I was, because I too saw it as the, militaristic. I don't know what to do. I feel so an, um, impotent in a way mm -hmm. as to how when I see our, our, so our leaders and our media uh, just getting into step. I just think we need to pause and but I don't see them doing that. I thought that it's appropriate. I'm trying to figure out what an appropriate response is. To mm -hmm. Thank you. Sometimes the you, you said it quite lovely that the appropriate response is not to respond or pause. Just one piece I'd like to add to what you're saying. Um, Monday, before the attack, the Spirit Rock 
teachers met with the Spirit Rock Diversity Council. We did a day of diversity together. And it felt totally connected to what happened. That if we are unwilling to deal with the, the bias, the racism that's here, the fears of one another, the, you know, and even for people who are not so um, prejudiced, but to really keep looking at what's actually happening here. This is felt, felt very much the same as to look at what's actually happening in the whole world. Um, that we can at least begin here um, in our communities to see what you're seeing, to see, oh, all of a sudden these people are not there. And then to begin to look at, well, what would be some way to respond to that? And it might be in a very personal way to knock on somebody's door. I have a very close friend who's Palestinian, who's a therapist, and he's just a, he's, he's a brilliant man and a wonderful therapist. And he said all his clients came that week. All everybody came, and he said, and he said, you know, they all wanted to take care of me, and it was beautiful. And he said, people said, I'll go to the camps with you, you know. The people were having some fantasies of him being <coughs> taken away. But we can even to begin on the personal level to say to people, I see what's happening and I care. I mean, just that. Um, so thank you. We have to start where we are and trust that. Trust that heart that, that sees that and feels that. The piece, the piece for me this week, um, I was here Tuesday night and um, also heard a, um, a small bit of West Nisker on the radio yesterday, I'm living room at KPFA. And the piece that's really touched me all week is the part about listening to others and opening perspectives. Um, I loved what you said about asking questions and dialoguing. And what this woman said, she called into West Nisker yesterday on the radio and she said, they were asking about what we can do right now, what ideas are out there. And she said what she's been doing is she, she's been listening to kind of the right-wing radio stations. And she listens for an hour. And then she calls in. And after her call-in, she just asks a couple questions, following the, the flow of what people have been saying. And she said after her call of opening, opening to question, people started calling after her, and the whole conversation changed. Yeah. So for me, the piece, I learned so much Tuesday night. Um, and I tend to come from, I know I have beliefs. So to answer your question, in talking with a few people this week, I've been playing with that, of listening first and holding open my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning a lot. Mm -hmm. we'll, just, we'll take one or two more, and then we'll end with some loving kindness practice. I prefer not to stand, so thank you. I had several responses, and I also have a very good friend who's Palestinian. And when it happened, I knew what the backlash was going to be. And I called her up and, and I told her, don't go outside. Mm -hmm. You know, st stay very, lay low, because I know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. 
because every December 7th, mm. when they show pictures of Pearl Harbor, mm. I don't go outside. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, it's, my family's been here for four generations. Mm -hmm. My father is a veteran of World War II. My mm. brother is a veteran mm. of the Vietnam War. Mm. All my brothers, my ex-husband, mm. son of my brother-in-law, they're all in the military reserve, mm. and they're being called up at this, at this moment to serve this country. Mm -hmm. um, I'm scared mm. for them. Um, I'm scared for our civil libertarian and mm -hmm. li our, our rights. Yeah. Um, I heard Ashcroft talking the other day about increasing wiretapping, and uh, it's it's just really scary at mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. um, I have anger mm -hmm. about people who did this mm -hmm. to this country. Mm -hmm. Same time, I know that this country isn't, you know, virginal, pure. Um, Reverend Amos Brown said on Monday that. We have to look at America. Mm -hmm. So what did we do yeah. to deserve this? Mm -hmm. Whether unintentionally <coughs> or intentionally, mm -hmm. what has caused people to hate us so much mm -hmm. that this has happened to us? Mm -hmm. But I do not condone the taking of any, any innocent lives in any country. Mm -hmm. um, I have a difficulty because I fly the flag. I'm, I'm an American. I'm, I'm from a military family. And, um, but my Buddhist teachings tell me not to harm. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to find a balance and equanimity there. Mm -hmm. And it's a very confusing, scary time mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just, I'm just hoping pr uh, reasonable, reasonable minds will prevail at this time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. One more. Yesterday in the yoga class that I go to, um, the person who was teaching said he'd been thinking about New York and what to do, how to help. And he said he heard Mayor Giuliani say, if people want to help New York, come and spend money. Mm -hmm. So he said, I've got an idea. And this guy clearly doesn't have a lot of money. I've got an idea. If, I could, if people would give me money, I'll go to New York and I'll spend it for you. I'll buy bagels and I'll take taxis and I'll eat in restaurants. I'll stay in hotels and I'll go to a Broadway play and I'll, I'll help New York. I'll be glad to spend every single penny. And that's kind of lighthearted, but, you know, I thought there's something to that. <laughs> so I know there's a lot more to say. We're limited by our time. But um, <coughs> I would just like to encourage you all in two ways. To take time to practice during this. And if you can sit every day, really to take some time to really keep an opening to what's happening as things unfold. Um, and also to take time to come together, whether it's here in a group like this or in smaller groups. And let the, I think this is, personally, I think this is where the jewel of Sangha is priceless. It's priceless. We can't, I can't be alone. I can't <coughs> be alone in this. I need to be with people. Um, and I need to hear people, and I need to feel people, um, and I need to be with practitioners to support my own practice. So please use, utilize the jewel of song to really begin to um, come together in any forms that you can, to sit together, to talk, to reflect, um, to, to complain, the whole thing. Bring it, bring it all together. So please let your bodies be as comfortable as possible now. We'll end with a little bit of loving kindness. Mm.
letting your attention come to the center of the chest, the heart center, and letting the body relax as much as possible, and letting the chest relax. And taking a few full breaths right into the heart, right into the chest. As if the breath could permeate or penetrate, soften, tenderize, moisturize. open. And I'll offer some phrases. And you can, you can use the phrases that I offer. But mostly we want to let the heart speak. Offering some loving kindness just for yourself to begin for a moment. Responding to the wish for peace, for safety, for well being, for clarity, for kindness. May I be safe protected, free from harm. May I discover clarity, wisdom, as I open to my fear and confusion, my sorrow, May I be happy. May I appreciate these moments, the sunshine, the good earth, my fellow beings. May I be grateful for this life, for what's been given. May I be free from suffering. May my heart open. May I discover the immeasurable heart of kindness and compassion. May it permeate and radiate this being and body.
awaken in this very life. And may my awakening illuminate the whole world. And for one another, for the Sangha here, may you also, may you too be happy, peaceful. For the people sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, the people who you liked what they said, or you didn't like what they said. May you be safe, may you be protected and free from fear, free from danger. Letting the warmth, the sweet kindness fill this room, touch each being, and letting ourselves be touched. May you discover clarity in this time of confusion. May your heart open. May it, may it be filled with love, kindness, compassion, empathy. May you be free from suffering. May you awaken. offering our loving-kindness for the Mahasangha, for the whole world, the beings of the earth, the air, the seas, and especially right now for the human beings who live in this human realm. May all beings be happy, including all the beings like us who don't know what to do or aren't sure. The beings who are in positions of political power. May you be safe. May you be protected and free from danger, free from inner and outer harm. People in the military, in every country, people who love their countries, their neighborhoods, 
the human beings, that there are different shapes, colors, forms, customs, languages, the various manifestations of humanness on this earth. May all beings discover clarity in this time of fear and confusion. The rich beings and the poor beings, the male beings and the female beings, the beings born and to be born, They all discover this great human heart of compassion, kindness, care. May we all see through the veils of separation. May all beings discover the unity of being. May all beings be free from suffering. The beings in America, in New York, Washington, Pennsylvania, the beings in Palestine, the West Bank, the occupied territories, the beings in Israel, the beings in Lebanon or Jordan, Afghanistan, the beings in Africa, Asia, South America, North America, Europe, may all beings in all countries in all worlds, in all realms, may all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken. May all realize wisdom in compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.